invite, so let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for a truly beautiful day and for the chance to uh, gather together as the body of Christ this morning uh, to look into this portion of your word of God. We pray that it would have an impact on our lives to make us more faithful and more diligent servants, faithful servants, um, and offering the glory to you and all that we think this morning and, and uh, practice as we can in Jesus' name. So we were still in Malachi, and we were on this panel that you see up there on the screen. And um, it, 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 it states the, the theme of the book, uh, contingent upon what you see at the top there, you have turned aside from my statutes, and then the, the call to repentance, return to me and the promise of salvation, and I will return to you. And that's the essence of, uh, of Malachi. Jeremiah echoes that in chapter 16, verse 12. You have done worse than your fathers. Now that's a pretty, pretty strong indictment when you think about it. For behold, every one of you follows his stubborn evil will, refusing to listen to me. One of the things that I always think about when I'm going through um, all of these minor prophets is that it's uh, it, it's look like it, it's like looking at a mirage in the past and seeing the present superimposed upon it because we're 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 seeing our own world today and we have gone so far astray that. Um, and, and many of the same things happen to to the the things that happened to the Jews were, you know, crop failures, culture failures, economic failures, uh, you name it. The things that that God warned them would happen to them, enemies coming and attacking and killing everybody. This is the world that that we're living in. This country is still a little bit insulated, um, but n not by that much. When you think about some of the uh, restrictions, I, I saw that in California this morning that they're proposing a law that would make it a misdemeanor uh, to mistakenly mispronounce somebody. And, okay, so I'm going to go out on a limb and commit a crime here. It's he, she, him, his. <laughs> and that's it. There's only two. And if you're drawn into any other aspect of it, return to me and I will return to you. Repentance is always available no matter the sin. We, we kind of focus on the obvious things and you know, I'd call it the LGBT alphabet soup culture. But, you know, that's just one word that's listed when it talks about the deeds of the flesh. Um, being effeminate and being homosexual are just two of the sins that are listed. You, you also have to look at there's infidelity, there's sexual sin, and, you know, we're living in a culture where that's, widely accepted. You go to a movie today, and uh, when's the last time you saw a romance that really involved 
a husband and a wife. It, it's, it doesn't happen. So I have to be careful about going off on tangents today since I want to try to get through the conclusion. But uh, this is an important um, preface here. So repentance always comes with a promise of salvation. So, and I'm going to try to skip a little bit. Um, I'm going to go to the highlighted language uh, in, in blue there. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse um, and, uh, so that there would be enough food. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you the blessings until it overflows, then I will rebuke. And so it goes on to talk about the um, um, the warnings of, of um, those things that will come, the curses that will come, the lack of food and, and uh, everything else. Um, and so in, in Leviticus it says, every tithe, the seed, the fruit is the Lord's. It is holy to him. Um, I think we understand that. It's why we say grace every time we have a meal because we're grateful for the, the provision that God has given to us. Um, chapter 3, verse 13, your words have been arrogant against me, uh, says the Lord. Uh, and then the question and answer aspect, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? And very clearly comes back. You have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked in the morning before the Lord in mourning before the Lord of hosts so when you when you challenge God to I didn't say anything and God comes back and says this is exactly what you said duck and cover remember on that day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord and then judgment will come and everything everything will be revealed Every lie, every misuse of language, everything. And we have to understand that what we're looking at is what the messenger is doing, speaking thus says the Lord. So then those who feared the Lord to one, spoke to one another, and he gave them attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear him and esteem his name. So <clears throat> you compare that with Revelations 21.16. And it says, if one's name was not in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So again, it's just that reminder that God knows everything. Nothing will be hidden from him. Uh, the fact that we are Christians and and born-again believers and have the righteousness of Christ and the promise that we will go before the Bema Seat judgment of Christ before that last judgment uh, means that, that hay, wood, and stubble will be burnt away and the things that will remain will be pure, purified, gold and silver. And, uh, and so when, we're, when we go before the Lord, uh, the words that the Lord God, the words that he hears, would be from our Savior who took our sin upon himself and, and said, this is my faithful servant. And then the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
And, and so uh, we're covered. It's called, it, it is literally called the covering in Scripture. Um, I'm going to try to get uh, uh, past this. This is a, uh, an, an image of uh, a burning furnace. Um, and it's about the destruction. Uh, in the blue there, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing wings. And you're always getting that contrast in these books. The, the, the scope of the punishment and the, the elevation of the, the promise. <clears throat> now, that's not to say that the Lord has wings. It's a, it's a metaphor. You need to, I, I remember Pastor said that just last week, I believe. So we need to recall that. And so this one, this passage here is talking about remembering the law of Moses, my statutes, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded uh, become, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So we're talking future here. We make this this connection, um, and there's a picture there of the transfiguration. And in Luke 117, it says, He, John the Baptist, will go in the spirit of Elijah to turn bar- back the hearts of the, the disobedient. So you have that that promise with John the Baptist, the the spirit of Elijah, and then you have in the transfiguration, we believe Moses and Elijah, and so we're looking at fulfilled prophecy. <clears throat> and then we have our, our conclusion, which we can jump to, and that'll, that'll get us the to the conclusion uh, that we're going to be looking at today, the Minor Prophets con- co- conclusion. Um, if you still have the, the that map, that gives you the timeline. We're well past the exile. We're, re- we're, we're actually past all of the Minor Prophets. We're past all of the Prophets. We're past every new revelation. Uh, we're, we're past everything that will be included in the canon of Scripture. And then there's this 400-year gap. And so now we're looking at a map of the time of Jesus, one of the maps that you have, and that's the Roman world. And the other map that you have uh, shows a an enlargement of uh, Palestine. Uh, and you can see that it's it's... The size of of um, the promised land has shrunk, and in each of those areas is bordered by a different colored dotted line. You can't see it on the map, but you can't see it there in front of you. And um, uh, I can't even read it on my screen, so I'll grab one real quick here. Um, Samaria and Judea under Pontius Pilate. Um, there's there's one that's uh, Decapolis. Uh, you can also see the name Decapolis there. Uh, and then there's the uh, Tetrarchy of Philip and the Tetrarchy of Herod Antipas. And so all these all these different places were divided with with uh, different um, 
different people in charge. And of course, at the time of, of, of Jesus, we had the false king, Herod the Great, and we also have the, um, the Roman um, governor, I guess you would say, Pontius Pilate. So here's a timeline chart. You have a picture of that as well. And it, it shows you uh, briefly here, starting from left to right, you have, you have um, a list of the, the books of the Bible that come toward the end of that period of time. You have Second Kings and then Exile, and you have all those books in green, Esther, um, and, and then you have uh, uh, up at the top there the prophets of the remnant, and you just you have up there you can see Malachi that we just finished with, and then you have the 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 period of time where it's a prophetic silence, which is about four hundred years, and you have the fulfillment of prophecy. As each kingdom comes and goes, you have the Persian Empire, you have uh, Alexander and his empire, you have Egypt rule, you have Syrian rule, uh, you have the King, um, Maccabean uh, revolt, the Roman rule, and Caesar. And then you have John the Baptist and Herod the Great, and at the beginning of that time, the birth of Jesus Christ. And there's an, a number of other items of data that you can look at and see there. Um, it's a really, really good image. So <clears throat> you have a handout there on the Apocrypha. I know I've got it here somewhere. Sorry about that. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's it's at the bottom of that handout that you have that I just got got through going over. Uh, and I want to give you a little bit of history regarding that before we look at that uh, that handout. So between Malachi and the birth of Jesus, history affirms, and I'm just reading off the panels there. There was no true prophetic activity. However, there was questionable activity including written works claiming to be scripture called the Apocrypha, included in printed versions of Jewish and Christian Bibles until the Protestant Reformation, so 1500s. And the below quote here explains that history. It is not entirely clear from what's available why Protestants became opposed to having apocryphal books in the Bible. In the 39 articles, and notice that's in quotes, so that's an actual document. Um, in 1571 England, the Anglican Church stated, the Apocrypha may be read for example of life, but not to establish doctrine. Then during the English Civil War, um, about 75 years later, in 1647, came the Western Confession of Faith officially removed the Apocrypha from the canon of the English Bible. The Apocrypha were, however, included in many printings up to 1825 when the British Bible Society, over what was called the Apocryphal Controversy at that time, finally ended inclusion of the Apocrypha in any Bibles. So 
outside of the apocrypha itself, there were a lot of uh, rulers that came along. Believe me, there were there were false prophets, false teachers, false rulers, all the things that you can imagine in these in these writings of, of false prophets. Um, and we have to be pretty clear about that. And the reason they're not included in the canon of the scripture because they just don't measure up to the standards that, that were used to establish what was canonical and what was not. So this is a, a, a timeline chart about who accepts the Apocrypha. I'm not going to go word for word over it, but you can see that uh, Roman Catholic, uh, Roman Catholicism, if you get a Roman Catholic Bible, you will find the Apocrypha in between the Old and New Testaments. The same thing with the Greek Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Church, and the Coptic Christian Church. And you can see that there are a lot of books that are part of the uh, Apocrypha. Uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church omits many of them. Um, for example, the, the Prayer of Manasseh and 3rd and 4th Maccabees and Psalm 151. Um, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Russian and the Coptic um, only have like maybe one one of the missing um, and, and, and then the rest of them are included. So outside of the above, there are currently seven English language Bibles that print the Apocrypha outside of these four churches. Um, and there's one Greek Bible that prints it, two Latin and nine foreign language Bibles that uh, print the Apocrypha. Um, we don't have that in the Bibles that we use uh, because they're they're not true canonical books of the Bible. Now, as you'll see as I go along, I do use some history from, for example, the Maccabean books uh, because those elements of history have been confirmed by other outside sources. But in terms of doctrine, they're not acceptable. So I'll talk about now the dark era of prophecy and the cessation of Old Testament prophecy. The prophetic movement remained a part of Israel until about 400 B.C. And it ceased with Malachi and, and his book. The essence of the prophetic movement. Prophets were called to declare the word of the Lord. Uh, and I, I think at the very beginning when I did the introduction, I showed you a panel that listed the, the, the starting words of each of the 12 minor prophets. And it was the word of the Lord or a word came from the Lord uh, and, or an oracle of the Lord. They, they all made that, that uh, connection that they were not the, the ones that are, were giving the message, but they were the vehicles that the Lord was using to to bring his word through them to the people that needed to hear the word. Um, they boldly faced political and religious leaders denouncing them and the populace for their sins. Now, now we need more of that today, I, I believe. Uh, of course, we're, uh, you know, we're a one independent church. Um, the, the major denominations in the, in the world today, um, are, many of them are connected to the national 
uh, organization of church or the the worldwide universal church and their doctrine has been so compromised. I know the Presbyterian church where I grew up, the Presbyterian church at the time of Jonathan Edwards, for example, was a true conveyor of the word of God. Um, but uh, in the Methodist church and the congregational churches, they, they were all spot on, uh, which is one of the reasons why we eventually got our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution, because the people that, that were involved in writing it uh, were all impacted by the, uh, the elements of the Great Awakening, um, which was fostered by Jonathan Edwards and, and others, other um, uh, evangelists that, that came from, from England. And uh, <clears throat> Jonathan Edwards has been dubbed the fiery prophet. And there are sometimes pictures of him, even with a cape, where he's standing at the pulpit and he's got his arm up like this and the Bible up like this. And he's shouting at the people and they're all falling around on the ground. And that's not exactly what happened at all. I actually did a thesis on Jonathan Edwards. Uh, he was nearsighted. He couldn't even see the people out there in front of him. He, he, he just he barely could see the, the manuscript that he wrote. He would have been delighted to have something like this. But he had a manuscript that he read from. And for example, his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, has been ripped apart by from many sources because it was so so negative. You know, God holding us over a fiery pit like a spider at the end of a web and threatening to drop us. That message is laced like gold thread with a promise of redemption. But, of course, the natural man can't see that. And when Jonathan Edwards preached it, he was down like this, reading his scripture, speaking to sometimes 10,000 people. And it's a wonder that they could even hear his voice. And, you know, the reports of things that actually happen, people changing and having very emotional responses to, to the words that he spoke are very well documented, but he never saw any of it. He, he was pretty much blind to that. But that's not the important thing. He wasn't the important element. And you can see that in his writings as well. What was the important element? Rightfully discerning the teaching of the word of Christ. And, and he was a, a very adept user of not only the New Testament, but the Old Testament. And, um, and, and um, I testify to that. I, not only him, but people like um, John Owen, some of those old Puritan um, discerners of the word of God are, are helpful to uh, even to this day. And, and I know that um, a lot of the things that they wrote are, are kind of clipped out and put in, you know, famous quotation pages and, you know, sermon clips for, uh, for pastors and whatnot, and sometimes not as well documented as they should be. Um, anyway, the church is supposed to be confronting the world that we live in. And instead, much of the church, and I think that was my starting point, like the Presbyterian church, they have gone woke, to use the term today. And they've been, they've been, they've been dealing in elements of compromise um, 
since the early 1900s. And that's when things started to change, when the colleges started to, to change and the seminaries started to change. And I'm sorry to say that even my university, I went to Talbot Theological Seminary, uh, they're in the midst of a crisis between the quote-unquote psychology department, philosophy department, and, and the, uh, the, the theology uh, department. Biola University itself has made, made many unfortunate compromises. Um, and then also they gave encouragement uh, on the page up there to the faithful. They announced God's will, present and future. And that's why we still have them to this day. So the cessation of Old Testament prophecy continued. After Malachi, no other prophets appeared. There are events and observations which confirm this widely held belief. Two such observations are found in 1 Maccabees, and that's one of the apocryphal books. It's an historical record of the Jewish revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes between 160 and 135 B.C., written about 105 B.C. Chapter 9, verse 27 states that it was felt there was no prophet in Israel, and this had been true for a considerable time. And that red part is a quote. And then chapter 4, verse 6 indicates that the Jews didn't know what to do with the temple altar desecrated by the Syrians. They, they still had it. So they decided upon safekeeping for the altar until a prophet should appear. Well, we don't know where the altar is because it took, took a long time. And then to tell them what God's will was in the matter. So even from within that book, they indicate that the that what, they, what was being written there was not a prophetic, true prophetic element. And then along came uh, Flavius Josephus. He was a Jewish historian from 37 to 100 AD. Discussing the beliefs of his people, said that about the time of Artaxerxes of Persia, 